0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.
1: Stock market investors have suffered deep losses in the past 18 months, challenging the belief that stocks are the best long-term investments. Today we're talking to two Wharton professors about the market's patterns and how those should be used to guide an investing strategy. Finance professor Jeremy Siegel is author of the book, Stocks for the Long Run, which says stock returns more than offset risks if you stick with the market through its ups and downs. Also with us is professor Robert Stambaugh, co-author of a new paper called, Are Stocks Really Less Volatile in the Long Run? It raises questions about some widely held beliefs. Uh, Professor Stambaugh, your work finds that volatility in stocks, the range of ups and downs, can be considerably more severe than most people believe, and your paper focuses on uncertainties that cloud the future. Can you put this in layman's terms for us?
0: Yes. Well, generally, when we think about volatility in the stock market, we think about the value of the market fluctuating, and typically fluctuating around some sort of trend or long-term expected rate of return. Uh, our work makes the point that uh, uncertainty about that trend itself adds to the uncertainty that investors face and uh, should be perceived by them much like volatility, much like the fluctuations around the trend. And that uncertainty about the trend itself becomes more important the further into the future you project uh, investment uh, outcomes. Uh, so. Our paper basically makes the point that uh, to an investor with a long horizon, uh, stocks actually are riskier per period. That is the, risk, the rate at which risk grows over the horizon um, is such that it makes the investment riskier over the long run. And uh, this is basically in contrast to what we think of as more conventional wisdom that says over the long run, fluctuations in the stock market will, to some degree, cancel each other out, and therefore make risk to an investor in the long run look look less per period than to a, a short-run investor.
1: And there are a number of factors that, that you say contribute to this uncertainty about the future. What, what are the most important of those? Uh,
0: well, probably the most important is just uncertainty about the overall long-run trend, and um, the other uh, features of, of the stock market uh, that contribute to uncertainty is the fact that at some points in time, we think the expected rate of return is higher than at other points in time. In other words, over time, the, the rate of return that you can expect to earn over sort of short term and intermediate term periods, uh, that itself fluctuates. And the fact that the expected return fluctuates also adds to uncertainty because we don't know For example, if expected returns are currently high, which many of us, I think, would guess they are, we don't really know how long they're going to stay high, right? That may in part depend on how quickly the economy recovers. Um, That additional uncertainty, uh, that's an additional factor of uncertainty that also contributes to higher uncertainty in the long run.
1: And what would be an example of a a kind of event that could could occur that that people simply can't take into account ahead of time. I think I saw in one story a mention of global warming, for example, things like that.
0: Well, global warming is sort of an interesting uh provides an interesting analogy to this concept uh because if we think of uh risk and uncertainty and think you know to what degree does global warming impact uncertainty? Well, our uncertainty about where the economy is going to be, and particularly let's say where agricultural production is going to be a year from now isn't much impacted by The rate at which the earth is warming, we think. We might be very uncertain about how quickly the earth is warming, but that uncertainty doesn't impact much our uncertainty about crop output and economic uh, output next year. But if we look 50 years down the road, the rate at which the earth is warming, the uncertainty about that rate, uh, has a much bigger impact on our overall uncertainty.
1: I see. Now, Professor Siegel, your work in stocks for the long run and and in the years since then uh, talks a lot about the, the the long-term trends, a couple hundred years of stock market data and, and, and bond and, and cash returns uh, that shows that volatility does tend to even out over time. Is that right?
2: Yes. My work, empirical work uh, that started stock returns uh, beginning of the 19th century, so now we have a little bit more than uh, 200 years of data, um, showed that uh, stock returns display what, what we economists call mean reversion, reversion to the mean. Uh, it, in the short run, there's there seems to be a lot of volatility, uh, uncertainty. But if you draw a trend line uh, and believe in a trend line, uh, that it will return to that trend line it tends to to fluctuate uh, around that and uh if, if I understand uh, uh, Rob's work, he, st- he still agrees there is mean reversion. Yes, uh, exactly. Yeah, he's not denying, and most researchers, actually, even before me had suggested it, when I did it, it got stronger, and almost everyone um, has, has confirmed it. Um, so uh, the, the, the mean reversion story, I, I think, is still there. What Rob is bringing up is, uh, as he calls it, uh, trend uncertainty. And I I think that analogy um, to um, uh, global warming uh, is is a good one in the sense that uh, uh, agriculturally crop yields fluctuate a lot year for year. But, you know, we know that that over five, ten-year periods, they they tend to uh, get back to a mean. But if there's going to be some big change uh, in the future, uh, and what Rob seemed to say is even with 200 years of data – uh, you can't really be sh- that certain of the long-term trend. Uh, in in my first chapter in uh, Stocks for Long Run, at the very end, when I discuss it, I say that uh, you know we could be saying that the last two hundred years are the, the the golden age of capitalism. Um, And, uh, you know, we we look through the centuries, there's been an awful lot of huge changes and that golden age may be over. And so even 200 years doesn't give you confidence. I mean, we have empires that have, you know, ruled, uh, you know, a thousand years and more uh, and then they fell. Uh, And that sort of big picture uncertainty really uh, could be a dominant feature uh, looking uh, far into the future.
1: When we look at the future, I mean, we're all familiar with the warnings we get from our uh, brokers when we when we invest in something that past performance is not a guarantee of future results. So most people recognize that there are uncertainties about the future, but. W- when we talk about volatility and uncertainty, I think a lot of people sort of automatically translate that into risk. You know, they look at the downside. But we also have surprises on the upside, don't we? Technological breakthroughs that nobody could imagine earlier, things that improve uh, uh, productivity and that sort of thing that we've seen in recent decades. So uh, Professor Stamba, in in your work, it's also possible not just that results could be worse than they have been in the past. Are you also saying they could be better?
0: Exactly. Yeah, we're not making any sort of bullish or bearish statement. Um, We're just saying that uh, you know whatever whatever projection one makes about the the trend or what's likely to happen, you can have big surprises on the upside or downside. And uh, part of what contributes to the overall uncertainty long run is just uncertainty about things like the trend. Uh, And. Indeed, we were uh, somewhat unsure when we began this, whether 200 years of data that uh, you know, Jeremy has very carefully assembled, and we're very grateful to have available, whether 200 years would indeed leave one with a lot of uncertainty about this trend, or whether it would resolve a lot of that uncertainty, uh, and this is where we you know, bring uh, certain sort of statistics to bear on the problem um, that allows us to quantify uh, how much uncertainty will be left over once you use the information in two centuries or more of data as best you can to try to uh, infer what's going on and remove as much uncertainty as you can. And indeed, we found out that even, even two, you know, over two centuries of data still, still leaves one with enough uncertainty that uh, as you look at the implied variance of stock returns over longer horizons, the risk actually does rise significantly with horizon.
1: Uh, Professor Siegel, when when you look back at the the uh, 200 years of data that you have, as I recall from your book, you don't just say this is what the numbers uh, average out to over time when you talk, for example, about the greater returns of stocks versus bonds and cash, but you have some reasons why you think
2: that has been the case. Is that right? What are they? Well, uh, you know, our, our general models... Uh, uh, take individuals as as what we call risk-averse, people have to be paid to to take on risks. Um, And uh, since stocks are the residual after bonds and other claimants, uh, you know, have their first say, it's natural that stocks would have a higher return. What, what has tended to surprise economists in which there's a ton of papers that have been written is that that, that extra return seems to be very generous over uh, long periods of time. There's been a lot of literature, what's called the equity premium puzzle uh, that was actually written on in the mid-1980s uh, by a few economists. And uh, g- given the macro fluctuations, it, it seems that equity holders actually get a very rich premium. Um, now there's been some modifications and there's been a lot of uh, uh, reworking on that. Um, the The premium I find uh, over the long run on stocks over bonds is a, is a, about three percent a year uh, as the long run. That's a compound annual uh, a premium and. Um, uh, it's That premium has been, although in the short run, you know, can certainly be up and down over periods of decades and generations and, and even centuries, has been relatively constant. And uh, therefore, for someone planning 30, 40 years in the future with their retirement, that difference could obviously uh, accumulate to a very large sum in, in favor of stocks.
1: And Professor Steinbaugh, when you look at at, at your findings – um, regardless of whether uh, volatility may be higher uh, in the in the future than people expect, what about the relative returns of stocks versus bonds versus cash? Do, do you draw any conclusions about that 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 an investor could put to some practical use?
0: We've not yet looked at this at this same issue with regard to uh, to nominal bonds, where you have certainly things like inflation risk present. Um, so I'm afraid I can't yet tell you what uh, what our conclusions would be there, um, but certainly the 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 issue with regard to asset choice, if you make a simple stocks versus cash kind of choice, or stock versus let's say uh, a tip or index bond, which we, where we think of as sort of a safer asset in real terms, uh, our findings simply simply imply that, uh, you know, however however generous you thought that that compensation was uh for the the spread between the uh, stocks and and a safe asset uh you should perhaps think of that being a somewhat little less generous given the in- increased uncertainty or risk that we that we believe has uh, previously not been fully appreciated and is there in in, in longer term assets um uh, but i would certainly caution to say we're we're not making a a forecast about about the um uh, the spread uh, being being smaller uh, than it has been historically. In fact, you know the, our best estimate of what the spread would be was, is what it's been historically, between stocks uh, between, and bonds. Between stocks and bonds, uh, or stocks and cash. Um, all we're saying is that there is, a, is uncertainty about whether that whether that average spread will in fact be realized by investors over time. Uh, when you and the uncertainty when you take into account all its all its components. Uh, is indeed higher for longer-term could, could I, yes, yeah, go let ahead.
2: Let me uh, – I think what, what Rob is saying is, is very important. Uh, the, these trend uncertainties apply to other assets too. Absolutely. Right. I mean one could say to bonds although though you're going to – certainly nominal bonds where an inflation – Trend. I mean, we've had inflation. Well, we went up to thirteen percent, but we obviously know countries where they've gone into hyperinflation, and where that risk of that that would maybe be considered like a trend uncertainty suddenly that breaks down. Uh, um, uh, Now, now Rob mentioned tips. That's that is generally more protective because. Uh, the government promises to pay according to consumer price index if it isn't manipulated, if there isn't price controls. I mean, we could, and if the government can get enough revenue to pay it, there are certainly uncertainties there in the long run. So, in in some sense, some of the the trend uncertainties that uh, Rob's work shows uh, applies to 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 all other assets, and um, uh, I don't know whether that. Would lead you and I would on a, on a ask Rob about that. Would you Would you recommend people then reduce their stock allocations um, as a result of this uncertainty? Given that it can in fact affect other asset classes too.
0: Well, as I said, we haven't looked at, at a wide variety of asset classes here, but I think if one were if, were if one were making an allocation between stocks and cash, and I think you had a had a desired allocation under a belief that stocks had this sort of mean reverting property that was indeed the dominant effect and had ignored the sort of trend uncertainty effects that we talk about, if you had an allocation of those circumstances and then you became aware of this additional uncertainty, I think you would would reduce your stock allocation versus what it was. Uh, Again, we're not making a prescription about what that stock allocation should be. Um, Our our point is simply that for a long-run investor, this consideration... Uh, but, but it, Rob, if you effect. found the
2: same trend uncertainties, let's say, affect bonds, let's say it's called it the nominal bonds now, um, could you make a claim that you would reduce stocks versus bonds under those conditions? No, I
0: think, it's quite, I think it's quite possible that if we were to look at nominal bonds, and I think that would be an interesting extension, um, because I think there you do have substantial trend uncertainty, particularly with particular regard to inflation. Uh, it, it's quite possible that this same kind of uncertainty uh, – in nominal bonds could could well make them less attractive. Um, so I said that's an extension to our work that we hope to pursue, but I just can't give you an answer right
1: now. I mean, I, I I can hear a lot of listeners out there gnashing their teeth and saying, "Well, look, you know, I live in the real world here, and I'm worried about my retirement. Uh, are you are you telling me that um, if my asset allocation model used up to this point said I'm a 30 year old and I should have 70 percent in stocks, that I should have Forty percent in stocks. I mean, now What decisions should people make on the? Business? Sorry, I can't help you there,
2: <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy. What do you progress think? with knowledge well, sometimes? Uh, that's low. what uh, you know. And and I think that and Rob has been very careful about this. It is easy to jump to the conclusion. Oh my goodness, stocks are riskier. Let me get into uh, these other asset classes. But it isn't. You know, this trend uncertain. Listen, global warming really happens and. You know, catastrophic changes to sea levels that some people we're reading about more and more every day. Um, you know, not even talking about anything that can happen. Uh, you know, nuclear war and all sorts of things like that. These are these are big trend-changing events that really could afflict all assets. Sure.
1: And uh, and just just to uh, go back for a second, I think you did say that these this these uncertainties could be uncertainties on the good side. I mean, good things can happen as well.
0: You know. You, well, yeah, except uncertainty is never viewed as a good thing for an uh-huh. investor. <laughs> In general, we think of, as Jeremy said earlier, investors being risk-averse. Right. So as you, as you crank up uncertainty, you need to provide some, some reward. Um, and uh, the fact you can be surprised on the good side, generally to a risk-averse investor, doesn't, doesn't offset totally the fact that you can be surprised on the downside.
2: But I think a good, good point, I mean, you know, as we talk about the bad things that can happen long run, um, you know, just thinking about uh, – in my, in my book, Future for Investors, I speculated a bit about trends of technology, and I, I speculated on the fact that the communications revolution suddenly opening up, connecting peoples and research centers in a way that hadn't before could have under some models that certain economists have built about technological change and other actually increase growth. Now whether that leads to higher stock returns, you can there's another layer obviously on top of that, but there are potentials for very favorable surprises in terms of inventions, discoveries, et cetera, innovation. Uh I mean just the changes I've seen in my in my years in, in academia about, you know, how research is is done. So uh, uh, in a way, Rob is right. you don't generally like uncertainty, you know uh, because the downside is more hurtful than the upside is helpful, but th- there there can very well be that upside too.
1: But I mean the, the, an investor would not be irrational to sit there and say, well I realize there are uncertainties. Of, you know global warming and these other kinds of things we've mentioned but at the same time maybe somebody will invent a breakthrough battery for uh, electric cars or a nuclear fusion will suddenly become if it's not too late to something for that. like that some people right. say there's
2: already too much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere <laughs> but I understand what you're saying <laughs> I just want to turn finally for a minute or two to, to
1: the The market of the past couple of years, which has been just terrible for people the s and p five hundred is still down i think about forty five percent from its peak, are these events that we have seen in the last uh, couple of years anomalies or are they things that people should expect to happen every once in a while? Where do they fit into the into sort of your view of the trends over the years
2: yeah i i you know I think some of the current Problems, um, we had a 20 year period of very low volatility of real economic variables. We had two very mild recessions. Uh, if you look at quarterly changes in real GDP and our, any of the real economic factors, their variability went down. And that, I think, lulled a lot of people into thinking hey, we're in a, a more stable world. I think that led to a lot more leverage, particularly, and therefore a ripple which I interpret as not being something disastrous turned into a tidal wave with the leverage the firms took and now has pushed us back into a recession, which I now look at as about as severe as I remember in the the 70s and 80s. And I don't expect to get more so. Obviously, there's people out there that are, you know, talking about the 1930s. We are miles away from that at the present time. But it looks like, in a way, we've moved back, at least on this recession, to the severity of, of the um, 70s and 80s. Um, and that period of low volatility, which we economists call the great moderation, uh, seems to be over um, and it, and could have been a, an anomaly.
0: And your view? Yeah, and I, well, trust- I guess I should take the opportunity at this point, since you raised the uh, issue of the current uh, economic environment, just to point out that I, I would not want to claim that, that as we sit here currently, that Stock volatility in the long run is going to be higher than the current short-run volatility. We were at very historic highs in terms of short-run volatility. The VIX uh, volatility index has you know, hit all-time highs recently. Um, so certainly we expect we expect that sort of short-run volatility to, to moderate. Um, So I wouldn't want readers and listeners to misinterpret our work as claiming that we're making a statement about the current environment where we think long-run volatility is going to be even higher yet than it is today. today. Our paper is more about what what sort of a more typical environment or average environment for volatility would offer an investor in terms of short-run versus long-run. that is in a more typical environment, uh, we would we would we would argue that stocks look riskier in the long run. But certainly today, stocks volatilities are at all time highs, at least over you know relatively short horizons, like things like the VIX measures.
1: So you would not expect this kind of volatility to continue. For a long period. I would
0: certainly hope not. I don't expect, and I don't think anyone does. And I think we'd all be very surprised if it were to continue.
1: Well, that gets us to the last question, as the, the customary question when Professor Siegel is here, is uh, thoughts about what the markets and the economy are likely to do over the next year or two. And you
0: have I, well. I will defer to Jeremy uh, on that I, question. I put, out,
2: I put out my head to the chopping block each time <laughs> over here. I I was giving a talk this morning before a group, and I said, I think I can finally take off my bulletproof vest. (laughs) (laughs) I talk about stocks, and there's a few people that say, hey, maybe maybe that is better. Um, uh, I, I think what the rally has been is that people now say, you know what? The world isn't coming to an end. Um and uh, it was almost or obviously when I'm saying that I say people were really almost discounting because we had a financial shock almost as bad as, as, as as the 30s but certainly not an economic shock with the shock with the tremendous response so again I think it's going to be a recession just like we had in uh, the 70s and 80s. Uh, and those periods have always been very good buying opportunities for uh, stock investors. So with that belief, I, I think you missed a part of this rally, but still, I think it's very reasonably priced and that you will be very amply rewarded. Uh, so you still believe in stocks for the long oh, run? Yeah, I, I, I definitely do. I, let me just say that if you do the research, once you're down 50% from the high, and we actually down a little bit more, but we've come back, um, the returns from those uh, levels are even greater than the long-run mean. We can't be certain of that, but you, you, you face uh, historically even better prospects.
1: Well, thank you. And, Professor Stambo, thank you very much for your paper as well. It reminds us that we can't always count on the past being prologue.
0: For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton,